Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I want to preach something that's just that God's put in my heart many, many years ago and that's sustained me, that's challenged me, that's called me, that's corrected me. And, uh, and, and pulled me on. It's a, in a sense, I think it's a word that I, I really pray that will, uh, I don't know if it hasn't carried me 120 years yet, but, uh, but it's, it's been a word that's deep inside who I am. And, and every time I read this passage of Scripture, this thing leaps out of me. So I hope I've got your attention. I pray that by the end of tonight, that will be the same lens that you view this Scripture with, that you also, this, this, this word tonight, not my preach, but what God is saying through it, would, would captivate you and will call you onwards, would, would lead you into the more of God and sustain you into an inheritance that is bigger than you could ever manufacture on your own. So I'm praying for that, so I really trust. Let's pray for that now. Father, I pray this evening as we open your scripture, we lean in, we have a posture of expectation. We're trusting that you're going to speak to us, God. Take the black and white text and make a leap inside our hearts. It will never be the same. Amen. Just uh, context-wise, just before we get to that passage of Scripture, that I, it's something into, deep in who I am, so forgive me if you've heard me say this a million times. I'll say it a million and one times. But uh, the, book of, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, opens up with this grand narrative of God speaking into nothing and nothing obeying and becoming something. God says, let there be light, and light was not there, and light became. It's just the power of God on display. He spoke, and Table Mountain said, yes, sir, and erupted. He said, Niagara Falls, and Niagara Falls started to flow, and it hasn't stopped since except once years ago when it froze over. But, you know, God has just, he has just spoken. Things became. He spoke the galaxies, and the galaxies leapt out of, out of nothing into being. He smoke, spoke, he smoked. No. <laughs> Possibly on day six now. <laughs> might be heresy, but I, I've seen some of the, 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 the things that God created, and I thought, what was he doing? But, but God in his wisdom, he spoke, he spoke, and things became. Just trying to gather ourselves in. It's been a long weekend. God spoke. I've never done that one before. God spoke, and things became. Brilliant. I'm trying to gather myself. Is that in the scriptures? It's not there. I was having a little bit of a laugh this evening, but God spoke and things became, and day one, day two, all the way up to day five, this is his modus operandi, God spoke and things became, just in dramatic fashion. Day six comes, and he creates the pinnacle of his creation, man, you and I, the first prototype, man, Adam, and uh, where we all get our DNA and our origin story from, and this, this but the way the creation story of Adam was different from the creation of the galaxies and the earth and, the, and bacteria and, and animals and all the other species that fill this thing we call life. Humanity, his origin was different. God spoke and things became, but on day six, what he did was he bent low and he came face to face and he got into the dust of the earth and he fashioned mankind with his hands. He formed him out of the dust into a, into a being. 
But this being was lifeless and lying there, with just out of, formed out of the dust. But in this moment of pure intimacy, the Father, the Creator, leant down and He breathed into Adam, mouth to mouth. He breathed into Adam. And Adam, all of a sudden, leapt into being. The story of man and God, the, the, the intimate relationship came out of nothing. But in, that, in this moment, God spoke and He breathed His life into Adam. And I want to tell you something that was amazing that has always captivated me, that the first face Adam saw of God was not of a distant headmaster saying, this is what you need to do. The first face Adam saw was not of, a, of an angry God or of a distant judge or somebody who had a finger out and said, do, do, do. No, the first face that Adam saw of his creator was of a face-to-face intimate kiss. <sighs> My boy. Intimacy. Birth out of Intimacy. And it's in this place that we find in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we find the first DNA design that God spoke into every single heart. Adam's heart, Eve's heart, but, in by, but also into our hearts. Spoken to every single person who calls, finds their life force on, on earth. These three things, he spoke, he said he's calling us, number one, as the first phase he saw, to intimacy. Number two, he's calling us to influence. Where do we find that? Genesis 1.28, he said, let us create man in our image. So they created man in their image. And he said to man, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth and have authority. And he gave him this influence and in the same breath, he gave him an inheritance, a future, a story that's bigger than just the here and now. God invited Adam to partner with him in this brave new world. Every single person can tell you, not just Adam, but you and I, or when we have that first breath poured into us, not from our mother and father, not only by biology, but I promise you from a creator, an intimate father who has known every hair on your head and knew you before your mother, you were formed in your mother's womb. He breathed those three things into you. You were born for intimacy, born for influence, born for inheritance. That's what you and I were born for. Genesis 3 happens though. And Genesis 3 opens up with with, the, with Satan engaging with this mankind and getting mankind to swap this, this incredible design, this DNA for intimacy, influence, and inheritance, swap it for something really small and trivial and set in motion something that's in every single person's heart from that day. Yes, we were designed for this, but all of us have stepped away and the fall of man has been inherited by all of us and we've swapped this thing of beautiful intimacy, influence, and inheritance for things as cheap as just one sex, sleep, and success. Distorted these three beautiful things and where intimacy was the driving force of God, mankind just w- wants to have the cheap thrill of a quick, quick, quickie. <laughs> wants a quick a little something there, a little bit of a quick glimpse, wants to take this beautiful design and say, actually, I, I just want sex. Satisfy me. We take this thing of influence and we give it up for something called sleep, rest. We actually, we, we, our lives are dictated not by what God has called us to, but actually when can I next have a holiday? And all our money, all our, our thinking, our bank balances, all going into how can I spend it? It's the weekend, baby! We live for these moments where God has called us to something much bigger. And we live for something called success, which on its own, all these things are not bad, but they are distorted of the true picture. God has not called us to live for success. He's called us to live for inheritance. Because success, success you can build, you can build, you can build. But can I tell you, that is gone in a second. And you ask men who've, made, who've, who've known wealth, who've known fame, but all of heaven doesn't know their name. I tell you, God's 
called us to something much bigger than just cheap substitutes. But we know the story. Genesis 3 happened. Man traded that and was lost in the garden. The call to intimacy, influence, and inheritance was given up. That's where we find our text this evening. Genesis chapter 25, if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, it's on the screen. We're going to read from verse 19 to 34. I'm going to read it from my Bible. Here we go. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your oldest son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. It's my favorite line in the Bible coming up. You ready for it? The first one was very red at birth and covered in thick hair like a fur coat. Wow. So it's like, God, you're speaking to me. Hey, have you ever had the moment? It's like God speaking to me, you know? It's beautiful. Let's carry on. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Esau brought his dad Biltong for Father's Day. Jacob brought him a soap on a rope. Yeah? Anyway, <laughs> just a thought. Just a thought. It's not in the scripture. I'm just reading into it. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Beautiful. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as a firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Just want to bring us up to speed. Isaac and Rebecca have twins. The twins come out and like literally, about, I can imagine a few seconds separating them at birth. So much so that, that, that the second Jacob came out clutching on Esau's heel. That's how close it was. It was closer than 100 meters at the Olympics, you know, uh, for second and third place. Usain Bolt was a little bit way, way ahead of that. But it was a close, close thing. And who would come out first? And Esau just pipped Jacob to the line. And these two boys, though they were birthed in the same womb at the same time, almost they, they, they were twins, they had two distinct personalities. And the Bible, I love it, gives us a little glimpse in it. And I can just imagine, if you will indulge me, just to give you a little bit of a narrative of how these two brothers differed, was Esau, I can imagine, he was a man's man. He was the guy who just cruised through school, played first team sports, where, uh, whatever sport he t- put his hand to, he succeeded at. He was head boy in grade eight. You know, they're like, just be head boy. It's yours. 
you're cool. The teacher like, whoa, you're very cool, my man. You know, Esau was that guy. I can imagine some tattoos, some really cool, classy ones, you know. A rugged beard, a little bit unkept, but, you know, but it's still, still cool. You know, he made his own biltong. He serviced his own car. He was like, in my head, he was like the crocodile hunter or bear grills, you know, that sort of guy. Now, Jacob, I think, he liked to watch the crocodile hunter and bear grills, but didn't really look like him in, in nature. Uh, I can imagine Jacob was more, uh, the Bible says, you know, stayed at home. He liked to watch a series. You know? He could tell you, he give you a synopsis of what happens in season five of Homeland. He could tell you, oh, it's going to be really good. You know, he followed the podcast of it as well. He owned Jamie Oliver's cookbooks, you know. Loved those. He was good uh, in the kitchen. He couldn't change a tire, but heck, he could play Pokemon Go. <laughs> he was that guy, you know? That guy, you know? So I, when I read the story, I go, I see the red part, and I go, that's Esau. But then I read the rest, I go, I'm a Jacob. <laughs> I'm a Jacob. My wife's going, amen. I wish you could learn to change a tire. But anyway, it's a story for another day. But these two boys with two different temperaments, two different natures, but it was so amazing, even though it was so close to birth, the big thing in this culture, and, uh, and you might have noticed as we read the scripture, was that the place of, of influence in the family was given to the firstborn. It wasn't whether, hey, but it was only five seconds, come on. No, you were firstborn. And for the firstborn, the firstborn was given, by part of his being the firstborn, he was given something when dad died called a birthright. Now I want to tell you what a birthright did in that culture. In that culture, the birthright was everything because a birthright guaranteed you as a father handed it down to the son and then one day that son would hand that down to his eldest son. A birthright would do three things for you. A birthright would give you, it was by, they understood that a birthright from a father to son would guarantee you blessing and intimate favor with God. This is what a father, I'm giving you intimate favor and blessing from God. Secondly, it would give you property and finance. So when dad dies, this is all yours, boy. Everything is yours. The eldest gets the birth, gets everything. Do not pass, begin, you get everything. You know? And thirdly, what it would also do would give you authority over the family. So now, poor mom got this, but then oldest brother comes and dad dies. Oldest brother now has a say over her future, over the family's future, where we go, why, where we buy and sell land, what we do with our resources, how we'll uh, go and do it on the stock market or whatever they had in mind. The eldest had all that at his hands. The birthright gave you blessing and his intimate favor from God, gave you property and finance and gave you authority over the family. In other words, the, the blessing, the birthright gave you intimacy, influence and inheritance. That's what a father handed down to his son. A birthright, and it was prized in families. But then we get to this moment, this moment of, of mania, this crazy, crazy moment where Esau, the rugged crocodile hunter guy, comes in, and he smells Jacob, having a, a, Jacob's been working on the, the latest Jamie Oliver recipe, a banting meal, I, I, I read into the text, no, I'm not too sure either. But I can imagine something tasting really good, and, and, and used a lot of cream, I, I'm just a, into that sort of stuff, you know. And he, and he really, really was, the aromas that had come out the window and, and Esau coming back from the hunt could smell it. He was like, oh, Jacob's been doing, whipping up something good. So Esau walks in and Esau says, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. Now, I'm no deep, deep biblical scholar, but I do know men. <laughs> and when men say, I'm hungry, I'm about to die, 
they're not literally about to die. So just, you can all rest, you know? You can all rest. He wasn't about to literally die because this was a big man. And I've said it many times myself, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die for you. Why is there nothing in the fridge? And he says, there is a lot in the fridge. No cool snacks. That's the problem, you know? Just getting that off my chest. But uh, that's an aside. But I want to tell you, when he said this, this was dramatic male talk. I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. And he allowed, in that moment, his appetite to take over. And now let me make a quick note there. God has designed us, as I said, with this desire, this DNA, to strive for intimacy, to strive for influence, to lean into an inheritance, a future, something bigger than us. There's something in there. And appetites in themselves are beautiful. That God orchestrated and God designed. The problem is when we allow them to be distorted. It's not about what, if, whether you have an appetite, it's what you do with it. That's the question. God's given you that appetite, saying, what are you going to do with it? Now, let me tell you, our distorted appetites, just, just like Esau, in this moment, Esau came up to him, and he said to me, sell me your birthright. I'm about to die of hunger. Give me, to give me that food. And, and, and Jacob says, sell me your birthright. We'll do a trade here. Now, you know, this is madness, but his distorted appetite had taken over, and when everything inside of him, he could have just, you know, sidestepped that moment and waited and gone and got food himself or gone and just nibbled on some biltong or a healthy other snack that Tim Noakes would have uh, approved. I'm giving a banting a big push tonight, just thought, for those who are willing to take notes. But I want to tell you, his appetite took over, and his appetite whispered, now. Esau, now. And I don't know if you know it before, but, uh, but I've experienced many moments like this where I'm going about my life, but then all of a sudden, one of my appetites kicks in, not just only for food, but for these things called sex, sleep, success, for uh, things that are, are other, that are distortions of what God has put inside of me, and the mist descends, and everything inside of me says, now. I need it now. I've got to do it now. I've heard men say those things. Oh, I, was just, I was just so horny, I, I had to do something. I was about to die. Okay? Where's this going? Stick with me. Stick with me. Back to the smoking. No, no, no. It's a safe space. I want to tell you that I've seen in soccer, I don't know if you know Luis Suarez, it's that sort of moment, Luis Suarez, one of the greatest soccer players who ever lived, I'm a little bit biased, but he's this incredible striker, and uh, he's a phenomenal on his day, but there came this moment where he's in the, in the penalty box in the corner, and the mist descends, and this incredible striker, he's got all this stuff that got this God talent put inside of him, turns and he bites an opposition on the shoulder, and you're like, Why? Why? He's like, I'm so hungry, I could die. <laughs> Good joke, Mark. But you know, it's, we laugh at that, but I'm telling you, we do it so often. I know there's moments where, where I do that, we step in it, you step into that zone, and then straight after it, you suddenly realize, why did I do that? Why did I give away that thing? Why did I go down that path? Why did I get so angry? Why did I do that? Why did I let the mist descend and, and lead me to these other distorted appetites? comes this moment, he says, Jacob, the younger brother, realizes he's in a position of power for probably the first time in his life. His brother says, give me the food. He says, okay, now I'm a younger brother, I'm one, the youngest of three, and I know I'm not often in the ascendancy. In my life, I've often been at the bottom, 
the bottom rung, you know? In our home, when we poured Coke on a Sunday, because we only got it as a treat in Zimbabwe, my brothers would pour it into their two massive mugs, and I would get the tiny small one, you know? With a lot of ice as well. I'm like, come on, guys. But I was the youngest. I knew my place. So you're not often in a position of power, but there, came, there come these moments where suddenly you've got something he wants. You're like, whoa, I've got the power. Don't, do, don't lose this moment. Don't lose this moment, Gabe. Jacob, don't lose this moment. And I want to tell you a younger brother's strategy is what you do is when you're bargaining with your, your older brother, start big. Go big. So if he comes and you've got something he wants, and he says, okay, let's do a trade, you go big. So you say something like, let me borrow the car for the weekend. And he'll go, no. He's like, okay, okay. I want to wear your jacket. Nope. Okay, okay, okay. Just some time on your phone, please. Nope. Okay. Just don't beat me up. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. Deal. Deal. <laughs> Have it. And you think you won still somewhere in hell. But let me tell you, I, I see that in Jacob. Yeah, Jacob, the younger brother, had this moment of power. Esau comes to him and says, sell me your, says, give me the food. And Jacob has this moment where he goes, I'm going to start big. I'm going for the biggest one. And for Jacob, he said, sell me your birthright. And I can imagine a little bit expecting him to go, no, that's stupid. Don't be silly, Jacob. Okay, okay, and Jacob would have gone down the rung. I can imagine. But Esau in this moment says, what good is that to me? When I'm about to die, give me the food. Jacob says, no, 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 promise it to me. So Esau says, okay, fine, yeah, I swear, it's yours. You have it. You have my birthright. This incredible moment, the scripture that haunts me is right there, and it says that after this exchange that, that I don't think Esau or Jacob knew the full extent of what was happening in that moment. It's a trivial moment that sometimes just comes and goes. There's a line, the last line of the scripture says, Esau ate, he drank, he got up, he left, and he despised his birthright. A line that haunts me. I'll tell you why, because on the screen we'll read a scripture now, years later, Matthew chapter 1. Let's read it together. It says this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Esau. No. Should have said Esau. It should have. This list, the genealogy of Jesus, the line from Abraham all the way to Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, the inheritance that was the Messiah, the fullness of God's promise, to his people, should have belonged to the firstborn sons. But in a moment, where the mist descended, where the appetites took over, Esau did not understand what was going on, but he said, I despise my birthright, I despise the future you'll give me, I just want now. There's a quote that I love, and yeah, I'm going to put it up on the screen now. It says this, a people without vision are a people without a future. And a people without a future will always go back to their past. People without vision are a people without a future. And a people without a future will always go back to their past. This evening, I'm not here to try and rev you up. I'm not trying here to, to wow you. I'm just trying to, sometimes I think we need a moment of clarity. And a moment, allow a space to actually scope our future. I think in life, we're so busy with the here and now. Even some of you have been working through your to-do list for tomorrow, tonight, which is okay. But I think there comes a moment, the grace gift of God is for us to say, enough, stop. Wait and scope. Look a little bit further down the line. 
Because in that moment, Esau had no vision, had no ability to scope further than his appetite. So he allowed the enemy to come in and steal his inheritance, his intimacy, his future, his birthright, the promise of God towards him. He allowed the enemy to steal that for something as small as lentil stew. So I want you to ask these questions of yourself, is all right? We're going to put some questions up, and I'm going to give us a few minutes to write these down. If I can encourage you, get your phone out, write these down. I'd love you to ponder these things. I'd love you to get So take your phone out, please. I'd encourage you. Get your phone out, write these down, or take your pen. These are the questions. I want to ask you these questions. What is your bowl of stew? What is your bowl of stew? Secondly, what's hard for you to say no to? Thirdly, what are you talking yourself into? Right now, maybe I think some of us are, we are, no one's lied to you more than you. I know that. I've talked myself into doing stupid things way too often. I've talked myself and, and, and played this game, you know, but you know, if I do that, if I do that, sure, it'll be okay, it's all right, everyone does it, it's okay, you know, and we, we argue our way out of things, out of the promises of God because our appetites lead us. When God's called us to take ownership of our appetites. The fourth question, what are you contemplating that your spouse isn't confident with? Or maybe you can replace that word, what are you contemplating that your spouse doesn't know about? And maybe that's, uh, you're thinking, hey, no, if I just, I'm just going to use this money to do that, but I'm not going to tell my wife. I'm just going to do this thing, a little quick thing without, and you know, so you keep me quiet. I'm not going to tell my husband that. I'm just going to, that's just a small thing. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but only we can answer these for ourselves. And fifthly, what is it that you are doing that isn't immoral or illegal, but that you wouldn't want anyone to know about? You see, in Jesus, he doesn't just say what's moral. He raises a stand and says, What's best? What, sometimes we want to know, what's the least I can get away with? What's the line that I can get right up to so I don't cross? When God says, no, no, it's not about that. It's actually what, can, what, what do you want to do through you? No one can answer those questions but you. And I pray that you allow these questions to do surgery in your heart. Because tonight I believe that inheritances and futures are at stake. I believe God sometimes gives us grace moments to see cl- clearly and scope our future. But I want to land with this. Started with Genesis 3, Adam losing, giving up intimacy, influence, inheritance by one decision. We see in Genesis 25, by one decision, a man, Esau, comes and he gives up his intimacy, his influence, and his inheritance for a bowl of lentil stew, momentary pleasure. But the great news that I have for you, sir and ma'am, is this. Because if I left it at that, if I just if we said, amen, let's go home, we'd have a sober moment. We've got to make big decisions. I've got to deal with the thing, bowl of stew. But can I tell you, we'll just be as hopeless as we were when I started, if I left you there. Because this is what I have to get to, is the fact that in, the, in another garden called the Garden of Eden, there's a man named Jesus Christ. And this man, Jesus, the Bible tells us and labors again and again, says he was the firstborn among creation. The Bible tells us again that he is the firstborn among the dead. It tells us he's the only begotten son of the Father. This is the eldest son of God the Father. The one in his nature gets everything. Gets intimacy with the Father. Gets inheritance. Gets influence from the Father. The name above all names. Every knee will bow at his name. 
the firstborn, Jesus. I want to tell you what the firstborn did. The firstborn of all creation became the second Adam. The firstborn gave up his status. He gave up his intimacy with God. He gave up his influence. He gave up his inheritance. And he said, I'll lay it down. I'll be obedient to death. I'll become the second Adam. But there came a moment in the garden where the, the father and Jesus, in this moment where he was resting, because he knew what it would cost him. He knew how, what this would cost him. And he said, Father, it's too much for me to be ripped out of intimacy with you. Too much for me to give up the influence and inheritance you've got for me that you've given me as your son. It's too much. He said, so he prayed this prayer. He said, let this cup. Other, other translations, other, other scholars say, let this bowl pass before me. But he said this, not my will, but yours be done. And can I tell you, in that moment, Jesus took the cup, and when he went to, on the cross, uh, Golgotha, he drank the cup, the bowl of our sin, of our iniquity, of every time we've gone for the bowl, he took the bowl out of our hands, and he said, I will take it. I will take your weakness. I will take your sin. I'll take your appetites that are, that are all for sex and greed and success and sleep and laziness and apathy. He said, I'll take that, and I'll drink it. And he drank it, and he drank it, the Bible tells, to the dregs, to the very bottom. Not one drop remaining. He drank the full extent of the Father's wrath and he said, I will become the second Adam. And I want to tell you this incredible news is Jesus took the bowl so that we don't have to. The thing that empowers you to say no is not your ability to grit it out, not to be an Esau and say, I can do it. The ability for you to do this is for you to say, Jesus, thank you for taking the bowl for me. Thank you that you empower me. Every moment that I get an opportunity for the mist to descend, I can see you. I can see a future because a people without a, a, fu- a vision are a people without a future. I can tell we have a future because we have a vision of him. Any other vision, any other future vision you see of yourself will fail you, but you've got to see him, the one who took the bowl for you and I because this is a fact. He drank the, from the bowl of God's wrath so that we could drink from the never-ceasing river of intimacy, influence, and inheritance. He says tonight, give me your bowls that only satisfy for temporary moments. He says, I'll introduce you to a river that never runs dry. I'll introduce you to an intimacy of pleasure and delight. And he says, come all who are thirsty. Come all who are hungry. Come all who are weary. Come to me. Not to your bowls. Because our bowls never satisfy. His river always does. This evening, we're going to land by having communion together. We're going to indulge in this moment, this, this incredible moment where Jesus, and engage with this, this God, this Jesus, the firstborn who gave up his rights to restore to us our inheritance, to restore to us our intimacy, to restore to us our influence. And I want to ask you if you've, you feel you've sold your birthright, gone for the bowl way too many times, this is the moment that we just need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, empower me for my future and receive the inheritance, receive the access to intimacy, receive the access to influence yet again. Allow Christ to give you his desires and watch him give, him, give you his future for your life.